Hey gang, uh, this is Max. I just want to apologize for the lateness of this episode. It's been maple syrup making season here in the Great Northwoods, and so I've been caught between that project and these projects and other projects, and something had to give, and apparently it was the podcast. Sorry about that. I'll try to have something extra out this week so you guys can listen to that as well, and uh, enjoy the show. I've closed off studio most Isley. Tonight's episode. This is the only lab I've ever seen that has a dungeon, but... It's alive! It's alive! And this is the perfect adaptation thereof, correct? It is not. <laughs> so I sense that I'm going to be a Colin Clive defender here. Willis O'Brien, you know, the technician on the original King Kong, he was devising a King Kong versus Frankenstein. There's all these movies out there. Hello, this is Max and Jason watching a movie. I'm Max. And I'm Jason. And tonight we will be reviewing Frankenstein from 1931, starring Colin Clive, Mae Clark, John Bowles, Boris Karloff, Dwight Fry, Edward Van Sloan, and Frederick Kerr. Directed by James Whale. Released by uh, Universal Pictures. Now, Jason, let me ask you a question. Yes. Have you read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein? I have. And this is the perfect adaptation thereof, correct? It is not. <laughs> it is not. Let's let's hear it. Let's hear it. Um, to any listeners, uh, if you have not read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, I would recommend it to anybody. It's still a, a very good read. There are some moments where it's a bit Victorian and, and romantic, but uh, for the most part, it's a really, really great tale. It was a tale, interestingly, that I was first introduced to uh, in that famous library that both of us have referred to, uh, Morrison Reeves Library, uh, that we grew up in. Uh, there was actually kind of a children's book, comic book panel kind of version of the Mary Mary Shelley story. Okay. So um, that I love to check out and read. And that was my first introduction to Mary Shelley's story. So I was already, I, I've always been very aware of Mary Shelley's original story. Uh, finally read the novel maybe 10 years ago, okay. which if I'm not mistaken, like Bram Stoker's Dracula is written in journal form. Yep. It is very different. Even listeners who have never seen the movie that we're about to review, you probably know this movie just through cultural osmosis better than you know Mary Shelley's novel. Absolutely. Because there are there are many aspects of Mary Shelley's novel that are just very different. There are things in this movie that we're about to talk about that everyone knows about that are simply not expressed in her novel at all. Well, this is one of the early approaches to adapting material, which is what I like to call the jettison the source material approach. Yes, yes. Um, now, it didn't have to be this way necessarily because in this almost in the same area or a few years later, there are some great adaptations of literature for the screen. The one I always point to is The Maltese Falcon, which is a perfect, yeah. it is a perfect adaptation of that book. This is not a very good adaptation of the source material, which that's certainly worth criticizing, but it doesn't affect the the standing of this film, really. I mean, this is an iconic film, even though it does give the finger to the source material. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, no, you are absolutely right about that. Um, and and, and I, would, I would agree with you. Yeah. However, we probably should pause here because um, this film deserves a certain amount of... Now, whether it's good or bad, we're going to figure out in our discussion. But this film successfully replaced the story of Mary Shelley uh, of Mary Shelley's novel. It really does. In, in the public consciousness. Because when people think of Frankenstein's monster, first of all, A, all of us picture uh, uh, Boris Karloff. Yep. We picture the bolts in the neck. We picture the very kind of rectangular head. We picture uh, the, the 
the, 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 the castle with all of the, the buzzing electrodes and diodes and all this kind of thing. We picture the mad scientist in his white coat and the, the hunchback assistant who's, who helped Dr. Frankenstein get all these bodies. Not in the book. Well, None of that's in the book. Well, on top of that, a lot of people think that the monsters in the popular culture think that the monster is called Frankenstein. That They do, but, but to be fair, neither the book nor the movie makes that mistake. It's true. It's true. It's true. But even in the third movie, we'll even bring, we'll start to bring this up. But they think that the monster's named and then it cuts to... <laughs> To something else, but it's kind of very self-referential there. Uh, an early example of that kind of self-referential. Yeah. This is a different film. This was kind of a, a, a choppy production. It began with uh, an adaptation of a play. Yes. And it was directed originally by a guy named, uh, I think, Flory. That was, yeah. the, that was the director who was attached. And, and the person who was going to play the monster, who didn't want to play the monster, was the most egregious Hollywood diva of the age. Uh, that's Bella Lugosi, um, who, pl who played Dracula. Who had just played Dracula. Who had just played Dracula. Well, it, it's, it's interesting. This is something I did want to bring up. I put it in my notes. The Universal Pictures horror movies sort of rescues Universal Pictures. Yes. The, the year before Dracula came out, Universal Pictures had lost like $2 million. Yeah. Dracula was a massive success. And the execs at, at Universal said, well, we're going to make more of these kinds of movies. And yes. almost on the heels of Dracula, we have Frankenstein in, in production. And of course, they wanted to use Bela Lugosi right away because Bela Lugosi was a, was a very popular actor. And these films seem to attract a crete, if you will, as a massive body a crete. I won't go into the astronomy. Um, <laughs> of planet formation but but it, it accreted a fan culture very quickly i mean the fans of dracula and the fans of frankenstein and the other universal horror films start to know the makeup artist i mean they really really embraced the production of these films but anyway flory and lugosi are the guys who start the film but they don't finish it go on jason yeah uh, and actually robert flory um i um, had been paramount he actually had directed the first marx brothers movie okay wow. um or, or had been a coder director so Lugosi um, uh, ended up leaving the project which well, I believe there, there are a couple of different yeah but I mean he he uh, you referred to him as as the diva but I mean he um, I believe that he he did regret leaving the project because he he was pretty desperate for roles yes. after Dracula yeah well, absolutely he was now there's some question about whether or not he should have regretted it because the Flory Lugosi script eventually gets chucked yeah uh, by the time Whalen comes in I mean he Whalen and restructures the film. Wales. Wales, sorry, Wales. Yeah. Restructures the film pretty dramatically from what uh, Flory and Lugosi were going to do. Now, from what I gather, the, that initial treatment basically had Frankenstein being almost a killing machine, sort of the modern, the equivalent of the modern... Terminator. Exactly, or Michael Myers or... Yeah, yeah. Or something like that. And Wales changed a lot of that. So it's not clear that Lugosi would have had the great movie that Karloff eventually does get. Now, I heard right. later on that, like, Wales said he wanted to do this film i mean he just kind of interjected himself in the process is that right yeah yeah uh, uh, it was it was a project that he wanted to do i think that he had a story that he wanted to tell there was a certain uh sympathetic story about the about 
the monster that he wanted to tell, which is actually very interesting to me because I actually kind of feel like that James Whale, who, who is uh, um, is rightly praised by film buffs for these, uh, he ended up directing the first two of the Universal Frankenstein films. But he he, you know, when you say that he interjected himself into the making of the film, that's absolutely right. There was an there was a certain story that he wanted to tell, or a, a certain element of Mary Shelley's story that he latched onto, um, and he latched onto it in a way that is actually kind of almost contemporary like what a director in our lifetime would do where they would say you know i don't like this script i see this story as x y or z and i want and this is the story i want to tell and james whale was able to do that i mean i mean even at this time in the studio system he was able to really um direct this film have a certain amount of control over it and tell the story that he wanted to tell well i don't know who he was at universal but i mean he basically usurps the project i mean they kicked yes they kicked flory off they let bella lugosi go they give them both later on murders in the room org as kind yeah. of a consolation which i think was fine with lugosi at the time because he had not wanted to play the monster he wanted to play dr frankenstein right right right, right. Um, anyway so whale came in and created the sympathetic picture i, I the, the mon- a more sympathetic monster rather than yes. the 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 evil force of nature that james whale wanted to tell a story uh, about abused humanity yeah and isolation uh the rejection of mainstream society that that's what he really wanted to do and i think anyone watching this movie that's what they should look for yeah is they should i mean mean, even though there's um some some almost for the time shocking scenes in this movie oh no um for any time i think that there are some very shocking scenes in this in this film one one in particular and i am of course talking about the dismissal of the burgemeister No, I'm not. We'll get to it in a bit, but I actually had to look up what a burgomaster was today because I didn't know what it was. It's like a mayor. I've always assumed that. I never actually knew well, that. Because, because he riles up the the uh, the crowd at the end, I thought maybe he was a, a law enforcement officer of some kind. But Right, right. Uh, but yeah, so he does depict this. He does give us a kind of a more sympathetic creature uh, and a more sympathetic monster, I guess, than than what was in, in, than what had been intended under Lugosi and, and Flory. This is sort of our first mad science movie isn't it this is our first mad scientist movie i unintentional I but, so. it, but it begins a trope in horror films and science fiction and superhero films and i don't know even even in like dramas you'll find elements of the mad scientist you know yes uh, but this is the first one well I, I mean um i think it's important to remember that this film was made right on the heels of dracula it came out the same year 1931 and so james whale was trying to um, he was trying to tell tell this story that he wanted to tell, this sympathetic monster story, but also satisfy Mr. LeMail, who was the head of Universal Pictures at the time. The producer. Uh, and, and uh, pardon? The producer, correct? Yeah, yeah, the producer of the film, and, and, and to create another hit. One of the interesting things about this movie is that it begins with uh, one of the actors, Edward Van Sloan, who uh, plays uh, the, uh, who had played in Dracula. Okay. Um, he, had pl- he had played Van Helsing in Dracula and in this film he plays Dr. Waldman uh, who uh, was the the kind of mentor of Henry Frankenstein when he was when he was in uh, at university and Edward Van Sloan comes out from behind the, cu- the curtain and warns the audience that 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 scenes from this movie might be so shocking that Mr. LeMail feels that the public might must be gravely warned at the time I think that that probably would have really resonated with audiences who were let's face it relatively new to films period yeah. 
But remember, we're only less than maybe five years into talkies. Yeah, yeah. This is a this is a very early sound film. Well, the, the other thing that that is crucial to know here about this film, and this came up in some of the reading that I did, this is what's called a pre-code film. Yes, this is unrated, and this this would create trouble in various states that it was shown in in the United States because there there was some things that absolutely did shock the the sensitivities of this of the audience audiences of the time. Mm-hmm. Some scenes were cut in various places and thought to be lost forever actually, but but some uh, a key scene, uh, a scene that's horrifying to this day, it was found in the 80s I think and restored. And restored, yeah. But but there were even lines that were cut from the film. But this was a pre-code film, so a warning like that might have been good for audiences so that they didn't like but they didn't have fainting couches I don't think in the in the theaters. Maybe they did. They should have for this film. Yeah. But but it wasn't enough. You're quite right. It was still it was still edited and uh so but then after that we cut to uh a graveyard a very atmospheric graveyard with uh grim reapers with holding swords and yes 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 it's it's it, as i was watching it i was like ah universal has a, a an aesthetic and this is <laughs> That's right i started to think of as the universal monster movie aesthetic a lot of mist on the ground lots of very uh kind of in your face almost halloween elements like like jason just said there's a grim reaper with the scythe statue in the graveyard and there's there's like little skull emblems i don't know if anybody jason you've been in graveyards occasionally i've never in my life wandered through a graveyard and been alarmed by the by the aesthetics of the decoration right right right. never seen a grim reaper with a skull face and a scythe though i would go more often to graveyards (laughs) if they were there um but this is easily the most horrifying graveyard I've ever seen. And the scene opens, there's somebody's burying a body. And, and of course, we get our first images of the heroes. Go down, ahead. you fool. Down. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, we see our first image of uh, um, Dr. Henry Frankenstein uh, and his servant, Fritz. Um, Henry Frankenstein is played by Colin Clive. And Fritz is played by Dwight Fry, who actually is also another holdover from Dracula. He played Renfield. Well, in- who else would he have played? Right. <laughs> Right, in, in Dracula. They're waiting until these mourners uh, move on because there's a... a, a um uh, a funeral going on and everyone moves on and and then the camera kind of lingers on the grave digger yeah who uh kind of takes time to light his pipe and take his jacket off and begin burying and and so this body that was buried that was freshly buried not five minutes before is suddenly dug up fresh yeah by by dr frankenstein and his servant and, and there's actually I, I i almost wonder if james whale directed colin clive to because in shoveling the dirt away there's i don't know if you notice this there's one there's one of his shovels full of dirt he flings at the grim reaper statue which i think would be symbolic is what how i took it of frankenstein is spitting in the face of death I think that that's why I believe that it was probably intentional because even though this film does sort of eschew the source material, it does seem to have some interesting things to say with uh, about the character of Frankenstein, Henry, not yes. Victor. They changed the name, yes. I guess, because they thought Victor sounded too harsh. And so they, uh, yeah, it's strange because there's like his name is the least harsh thing about this character. You know what I mean? Oh, um, so they flipped the names. Um, uh, as we'll learn later, you know, his, his best friend is Victor. Yeah. Yes, yes. And in the and in the novel his best friend is Henry. So okay. they just they just flip the names, yeah. But anyway, and we'll get to it, you know, if his name had been Victor, it would have been the least problematic thing about him. 
That's true. But so they, so they get into the grave and they're, they're getting bodies. And that's not the only stop they make that night. So they get that body. Right. And then they find somebody at a gallows in the graveyard. This is the most horrific graveyard I've ever seen in film. And they cut they cut this guy down and he make he makes Fritz go up and... Oh, the neck is broken. Yes. And they, Fritz cuts the guy down and they haul that guy... We we're to presume that they have a great night of grave robbing. Right? They but they but they can't get a brain because um, they wanted to get the, uh, the the body from the gallows because it would be fresh. Yeah. But because the neck is broken, the, the brain is useless. Which I didn't so quite a- understand that, but but it was it was 1931. Who knew? Uh, and I think it's said <laughs> even earlier than that. The film is. Uh, yeah, yeah. You kind of get the sense that it's probably it probably takes place. Maybe 1890s. So they, so they, so they have to figure that out, and so they, they have to get a fresh brain from the university. He sends Fritz, <laughs> the least qualified henchman who clearly can't read very well. They steal the brain. First, we get a little lecture. We get a little uh, establishment of the university. We meet the doctor who was Henry's mentor, Doctor Valdeman. He's giving a lecture on these two brains, and he's comparing two brains. One is a normal, qu- quite healthy, morally upright person. The other right. brain, you'll notice is deformed and is of a criminal a maniac and I can't remember what all he says but and so but he, he notices that there are structural differences between the upright moral brain and the abnormal brain lights go out everybody leaves I, I was I was kind of interested to notice that there were a lot of women in the class I I was just going to bring that up myself that uh, um it's kind of a it's kind of a modern looking scene I, I, actually I like the scene you know somebody somebody kind of tugs on the skeleton and bounces because there's a, a sample skeleton in the classroom and everyone laughs yes it, it, it feels like uh, in fact there's a male student who kind of looks at one of the one of the female students and kind of nods towards it and they, and they and they have a little moment I think that would have been seen as a very kind of contemporary modern depiction of a university in 1931 it, it is well it's done. very well done the, the professor gives a nice lecture uh, I thought you know uh, we, we're kind of at the tail end of we think you know but no I thought I thought I also thought it was a good scene I I, I, I use the word too much probably but it seemed very organic like people were acting very naturally that's how I felt as well yeah um, and then they leave and, the, and there are certain students who are talking to another other students are leaving singly by themselves but a bustling university lights go out yeah. Fritz sneaks in he's getting one of the brains and he drops it right because he hears something yeah. brain yeah. everywhere that brain's useless so he goes and gets the other one which is the abnormal uh, criminal brain right now I laughed out loud when I was watching this when this happened and, and for, for several reasons because one I thought for decades that this was a gag from young Frankenstein that could not have possibly been in the original film because it's just preposterous you know because in, in, in young Frankenstein the exact same scene happens and Igor the Igor is it's Igor and young Frankenstein by this point he picks the wrong brain I think the same thing happens he drops the uh, he sees himself in the mirror and... okay okay yeah. I, but he, he takes the abnormal brain and I just thought there's no way that uh, was, I just thought it was a gag like you picked the wrong brain yeah. and and there's no way that they said abnormal and normal but that's what happened in this movie yeah so he, uh, so Fritz runs back to the lab with the, the the brain of a maniac which I think is what Waldman says right yeah and they put it in Frankenstein and then they have a pretty shortly thereafter an electric light show there is um, before that happens and, and we'll dive right into that but I do want to briefly talk about the introduction of Elizabeth Elizabeth. Oh, 
Oh, yes. Uh, uh, who is uh, Henry's uh, betrothed. They're supposed to be married. And we're also introduced to Victor, who is uh, Henry's best friend. And uh, Elizabeth's very concerned about Henry. Henry hasn't been around. And uh, she's desperate to find out where he is, what he's doing. And the film does a very good job, I think, of of kind of laying out that Henry is so is so single-minded at this point that he's he's almost forgotten everything else. Yes. But Elizabeth is is um, is very concerned about him. And there's kind of a neat moment where we discover that Victor is very interested in Elizabeth. Well, yes, he even, I mean, he's very bold in this. You know, he basically says, I wish you would share your the same feelings I have for you. He, he's not subtle about it at all. He is trying to creep on his best friend's fiance. And, you know, that's a little moment that I like. It's It really doesn't come up again. Not really. But I, I kind of liked that they did that because it gave the scene just a little something. Do you think that this was Whale kind of nodding to the sort of rumors about Shelley, her husband, and Lord Byron? Ah, you know, I had not thought of that. I'm aware of what you're talking about. I think maybe. I mean, James Whale was... Um, was definitely not of a Victorian sensibility, yeah. shall we say. And um, I think that he did try, I, I think there's no doubt. I mean, it's actually, I think you know, everyone knows this, that he tried to populate his two Frankenstein films with a lot of that kind of stuff. Both this film and the next one are, are, are very, I think, critical of mainstream society and what mainstream society does to individuals. Okay. And, and, and James Whale was very interested in what people's actual motivations were. And, uh, you know, and in the case of Henry, in this early part of the film, Henry is just absolutely consumed and obsessed by this quest to to reanimate dead tissue. Yeah, his his single mindedness of purpose will alter radically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not long from now. No, but, no, um, no, no. Yeah, this is a movie that's got it that, that seems to really want to get to the credits. <laughs> No, I mean, it moves very quickly. Yeah. Uh, it's paced very well. But but Whale is very interested in the motivations of people and how their motivations can lead them wrong or how their motivations can unjustly put them kind of uh, on the wrong side of the society and, yeah. and injustices can be performed towards them. I think that there's, you know, all that stuff's going on in this movie. So while she's confessing this to, to Victor, they have a, a little moment and Victor apologizes when he realizes is that she's not going to return that affection right now. She's, I'm sorry, you know, she's picked her guy and she's going to go with that. Right. Um, and uh, and he apologizes and it's not, it's not a foul. He's not, he's not rude about things, you know, he doesn't try and foist himself on her, but he is always letting her know that should you change your mind, I'm, I'm available. Yeah. But, and, and actually, and, and actually though, the, you know, the way the scene is cut, because when, when Victor comes in, you know, it's like um, close up to Victor, close up of Elizabeth standing up, which I think almost kind of sends the message that you're quite right Elizabeth has chosen Henry yeah. but she really cares for Victor as well oh, absolutely, and, yeah. uh, and and Whale is able to tell that just with some quick cuts yeah. and uh, uh, to, to close ups and the fact that they're looking at each other very intently they're unified and that they actually both care uh, care for Henry quite a bit yeah. but they also kind of care for each other and the film doesn't need to linger on any of that no no you no, know, no. It, it has things to do and I think that that's good it, it just it keeps the narrative going well they're, and they're a nice little throw away moments too that, that don't that we don't linger on and we don't need to linger on but I do like that this has happened a few times in some of these older films that we reviewed uh, Victor and Elizabeth are actually friends even yeah. though Victor has some feelings
for her, but they get together and they talk. Yeah. If you listen to some of the culture warriors on the right right now, this is something that would is impossible and, and, and that didn't happen and shouldn't happen, right? Mike Pence would disapprove of this situation. I am that's not true. any woman by myself except for mother. Not I, right. No, I mean, that's... I, I kind of like this kind of almost... It's not quite right to say this, but it's almost this enlightenment approach to humanity that we're all humans and we can all be friends with one another, you know? Uh, to some extent, you're saying, you know, a lot of what you just said about Mike, I mean, Mike Pence is, is, is tongue in cheek, but it's quite, it's quite correct. Yeah. This scene uh, absolutely kind of illustrates the kind of kind of moral aesthetic that Whale, I think, was really going for. Yeah. I don't know when this happens exactly, but Henry's father is upset about <laughs> Henry's behavior. The Baron Frankenstein is worried that Henry is about to ruin his life with his researches. He's not paying enough attention to Elizabeth. They have a wedding coming up soon, and he's not, he doesn't, it, it's it's almost like Henry wants to put off the wedding until after he's achieved his great, his great experiment. Is is once he's once there's been a payoff of that. But the Baron is having none of this. He uh he sees that Elizabeth is upset. He knows he has an ally in Victor. He's like, there's another woman. We're going up to that laboratory and we're gonna have it out. And the Baron is really a, a gem in this film, I thought. I, I I I agree. Actually, I think that um, in terms of comic relief, and this is uh, for listeners, this is a topic that has been very near and dear to our our hearts and our conversations in all of uh, talking about all these movies. And we've often talked about when humor works in an action film or a horror film, in this case, and when it doesn't. And I, I like the Baron. I, I I think the kind of subtle comic relief that uh, Frederick Kerr is the actor yeah. that he provides is kind of really charming and. And, and and brings a certain something to the film. Well, and th and that's why it works because it's not it's not humor in the script so much. It's not situational humor. Yeah. It's not frat falls. It's not uh, right. It's not jokes that shouldn't be there. It's it's this father who has lived a life of privilege, interacting with everybody, and you know, kind of being oafish in that way that his station and his he's an old man. He doesn't have to follow anybody's morals. Like when the Burgermeister comes <laughs> to comes to talk about the wedding. I mean, he's rude to the Burgermeister. He's like, oh, what's this guy got to say? A Burgermeister has nothing important to say ever, but. Uh, <laughs> right. and he puts the burgermeister on his back foot the whole time because he doesn't respect the guy yeah yeah but he doesn't respect many people you know right. um yeah and and it seems like his 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 i mean he's he's he the the baron is convinced that his son is going to ruin the wedding ruin their reputation and 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 for nothing you know first um elizabeth and victor go to talk to Dr. Waldman and uh, to, to try to get Dr. Waldman to intervene. And Dr. Waldman's like, well, it's a waste of time. Uh, because, I mean, Dr. Waldman, he does know what Henry's up to. Yeah. He just doesn't think that it's going to go anywhere. And uh, um, he doesn't want to have any part of it. But Elizabeth kind of begs him. And, you know, I guess being being chivalrous, he just says, well, you know, I, I warned you, but if you ask me, I will go. Yeah. And so initially, it's Victor, Elizabeth, and Dr. Waldman who go to to, uh, Dr. Frankenstein's light tower keep, yeah. where it seems to be always raining. Yes, yes. Uh, right. It's always yeah. either brightly lit or shadow <laughs> right. in his, in his, in his uh, lab. I will enjoy the Baron's comments about the lab a lot later on. I forgot about Dr. Waldman going to talk to Victor, and I, I really like the Waldman character. Oh, he, uh, Edward Van Sloan is, is, is great in this role. He was actually one of the best things about Dracula. He was a very good Van Helsing. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's even better here yeah. because um, uh, he's a very educated man. He Henry Henry has been very bold uh, 
uh, in his studies. You kind of get the sense Dr. Waldman, Dr. Waldman is not out of his league. Yeah. Dr. Waldman is just a little bit more restrained and never would have gone down this path. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how I saw it. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, he doesn't, I, I think that he recognizes that some of, this isn't, this isn't pure science research that Henry is interested in. He's not right. interested in the truth. He's not interested in pursuing uh, a solution to a problem. Right. Henry has a different set of concerns and motivations. He's not really a scientist in this sense that like, like for instance, a lot of scientists have questions about the nature of reality about, uh, they have some problem like, but it's, they don't really care about the outcome, right? right? You know, uh, you either confirm the hi the hypothesis is either confirmed or you reject it. Right. And Henry's not in that, that business. No. Henry has a very specific result he's after. Well, right here, I, um, because we haven't talked about Colin Clive yet. Colin Clive is is really great in this movie. Do you think so? Um, I, I do, and and the reason I do in this scene, um, because before the experiment takes place, maybe it's after. I can't remember now. He freaks out when everyone shows up. Yes. Make them go away, and and he just wants everybody to go away. But it's not long before he realizes that he should show everybody what he's doing. You know, yeah. I mean, he 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 switches um, switches gears very quickly. At first, we should talk about the 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 scene where uh, the creature is is um, lifted up into the ceiling, and uh, the lightning is used to I get to attempt to reanimate the dead tissue, which by the way is another thing that is not in the novel at all. Yeah. There's no lightning. Uh, in fact. Mary Shelley, if I remember correctly, she never she never explains to the reader what Frankenstein discovered. Okay. Frankenstein says in his notes he discovers the secret of life, but he does not say what it is. This film actually, I think I think he even gives some information, doesn't he? He does. He says that you think that the the you've told told us, Professor, uh, what's his name, Baldman? Baldman, yeah. Yeah. You've talked about the infrared rays as if it is the. The end of the spectrum, but I've discovered uh, rays beyond that. So he's, he's discovered part of the electromagnetic spectrum that Vulcan yeah. hasn't discovered. And I was like, is he going to say Vita rays? If he says Vita rays, I'll be really happy. But he doesn't say Vita rays. There's some some component of the electromagnetic spectrum that is going to add the that special something that that, that he 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 had, he believes he's discovered. That's what created life. Yes. Originally. Now, see in these scenes. So I sense that I'm going to be a Colin Clive defender here. And you're not. But in this, in these scenes, Colin Clive smoking the cigarette with the slick back hair, very arrogant, yeah. very, uh, very eager to share what it is that he's discovered. And and he feels very superior to Dr. Vault. But also now that he has this opportunity to instruct his old, his old master in what he missed out on, he's very eager to do it. Yeah. And, and, and I like all of that. Then we actually have the experiment. And no matter what anyone thinks of Colin Clive, the fact of the matter is, is that the, it's alive, it's alive. That is such an iconic moment that um, he deserves credit just for that. Well, no, I, I I just wondered what you thought of him. I, I, I found him to be, I couldn't decide if his performance was uneven or if it was okay. I, I he didn't throw me out, but I, I thought it was, it was a strange performance. I noticed it is what I mean to say. I don't know if I, I don't know if I didn't like it. Um, there are moments where I'm like, I kept asking myself, now is this, is he capturing the manic energy of somebody who's been, by that point, by the time he says it's alive, he's almost shaking. You may remember this, right? Um, yeah. Now, he's, all of his friends are there, right? Waldman, uh, Elizabeth. Waldman and 
And then Victor, yeah. Yeah, and, and so they see this and, and they basically have to contain him. The question I had for myself as I watched this, I was like, now is this a person who's at the end of his rope, energetically speaking? He doesn't seem like he's, my, what I'm to assume a little, what I think we're to assume watching it, he's somebody who hasn't got a lot of sleep lately. He's spent yeah. all kinds of time working on this without rest. Like yeah. Elizabeth says something like, oh, you, you look like you need rest. You know, she says that the first time they see each other. Oh, Elizabeth, please go back. It won't be much longer. Elizabeth, please, we'll get married after my experiments, you know, or whatever. Anyway, everybody sees what he does and that he's, he's, he's on the ragged edge, it looks like. But when he says the line that you you did perfectly, Jason just did a really great uh, impersonation of it, uh, of a line that everybody knows. After he says that, he's almost, it almost looks like he's having a breakdown, doesn't it? I, I agree. And, and and see, I and I guess that's what I'm trying to, is that I think Colin Clive does all this very well. This first act of the movie, he plays, he plays Henry Frankenstein as distracted arrogant manic was the word you use which I totally agree with I agree he's he hasn't slept this is a man who's been on the brink of this discovery he knows he knows it's going to happen he's like a, he's like a kid at Christmas because he knows that he has discovered something that no one else ever has and and he sees Elizabeth again and you kind of get the sense that he has to kind of cover for it but he hasn't even thought about her yeah, well, yeah weeks yeah. you know this is kind of the seminal moment of his life and well I was just thinking the only person that he seemed to be really interested interested in talking to is Waldman. Because because he knows Waldman. He knows Waldman is educated enough to know that he's right. Oh, yeah. He knows, you get the sense that Frankenstein feels that if Waldman had enough courage, he could have done this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I enjoy all their interactions. Waldman they, they, very, uh, you know, is, is a very good uh, counterweight to Victor's manic yeah. scientist. Waldman is the steady hand. And Waldman sort of gets swept up in this and becomes part Eventually, of... Eventually, but, fir but first he delivers the the fact about the brain oh well that's right that's right because in their conversations he was like well because Voldemort says well where did you get the brain because because i think victor said uh, sorry henry says well you know the thing i was looking for was a brain and uh and then Voldemort basically says well where did you get it he says, well you should know it was you you it was in your lab and he's like well the brain that was stolen was a a maniac a, a criminal yeah. Brain. yeah and and it's interesting and, and this is why i like clive's performance here because he takes a cigarette out of his mouth and he has a moment of anxiety of like, like, oh fuck, that's not good. But he gets over that very quickly. And, and he's like, well, it doesn't matter. You know, he, 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 he moves on from that because um, you kind of said that Henry is not really behaving like a scientist at this point. And I, I agree because he, he had his insight, but now it's, it's the result that matters. And he's not really interested in problems anymore. No. As long as it works, you know, th then, um, and, you know, th that's all that he's really shooting for at this point. So, so exactly right. So he's taken the the monster what will become the monster up and it's been shocked by the lightning it's had the the cosmic ray the rays of light beamed into its life epicenter whatever it is that 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 that, that Frankenstein does and in, in in this whole scene by the way is you know is iconic but it's you know it's all of the Tesla coils and the electricity arcing everywhere and it's it's a really wonderful little manic moment that sort of matches the doctor I think a little bit yes and then there's a little bit of hand movement and that's when we get to it's alive they convict they calm Henry down, right? And they calm him down, and and the creature doesn't stir for a while. They've been storing the the new life in the dark for a while, yeah. and then now they're going to expose it. They're they're trying to figure out a time to expose it to the light, and the creature comes to them ahead of their timetable. Right. And this is where we start getting some of the 
this is the first time we see Boris Karloff and uh, we see his gaunt creature. He's in all black. He's very blocky. He moves in very strange, uncoordinated ways. What was your initial reaction to seeing the creature when you first saw it? Um, when I first saw this, I first saw this movie in high school and the reaction that I had then is the same reaction that I have now. I think I think Boris Karloff physically inhabits this role in a way that, that, that no one else ever has. He's very... He's very tall. He's very imposing. And I think Karloff does a very good job. And, and this is, again, James Whale looking for, you know, to play on the sensitivities of the viewer. I mean, he has a hard time walking. Now, he's very imposing, but, but but he doesn't even walk very well. Part of that was real, I guess, because Karloff had trouble with the boots that weighed like 13 pounds each. Yeah, well, but but it, but it works. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, and and I know, and actually, and Karloff was, uh, was very proud of this role, uh, and he was a believer in the role. But it's very interesting that I know Notice this time, initially, Frankenstein, the creature is very receptive to Frankenstein's directives. He tells him to sit down, and he does. Yes. And, of course, Frankenstein is still celebrating every little thing that that is going right and not noticing anything that's going wrong. Yes. Uh, I Um, I think I'm going to argue that this is willful on his part. Oh, totally, yeah. Not noticing. I mean, he's noticing it. He's choosing to ignore it. Yeah. Things that are going wrong. But but Franken, the the monster, the creature seems to be mostly obeying. Yes. You know, he shows up the light. The creature reaches for the light in a very. It's very pointed. Karloff plays the ki- the the creature in an almost childlike way, and it's it is kind of poignant when he sees things that he wants and then can't have them, and he, he reacts like a child. But of yes. course, he's in this imposing body, and it's it's all very unsettling. I think even even to modern eyes. Uh, it is unsettling. Uh, Karloff yeah. really embraced what Whale wanted here. I and, and you know, I actually one of the things that struck me when I first saw it, I was waiting for the first snarl of the creature, and I yeah. wondered if it and I wondered if it would sound dumb. Yeah. And uh, and I remember even then, um, you know, when I was young, being really impressed with how he uses uh, how Boris Karloff uses guttural sounds yeah. to convey confusion or anger or desire. I actually think for any viewer, any, you know, whether you've seen this before or not, anybody that watches this movie, when Boris Karloff is on screen, you're watching him every second. Like your eyes, your eyes never leave him and you are really reading what he is conveying through the sounds and the movements of this creature. Absolutely. When does he introduce Waldman to the creature? I can't remember. Waldman was in the room because he even says, you see! Like he he shows it off to him. But then and of course, we discover, you know, that the creature's fear of fire. Yes. Which is from Fritz, I believe. He has a torch. Yes. Maybe, maybe, maybe the only thing about the film, about Colin Clive's performance, but this is not Colin Clive's fault, but the only problem with the, 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 the film with the script is that Henry goes from true believer to, oh, leave it alone, uh, very quickly. Like, like it's almost like, well, you gave up on that really fast. Um, well, well, it's all, it, it's almost like, oh, now we have to lock it up. Yeah. It's all a failure and and you know that happens very quickly well because there's a little bit of a confrontation in this early scene right yeah where, where, where we get we get the moment of elation the creature is listening to me it's sitting down but then then it has a little a little quarrel with fritz and the torch and they have to subdue it and this sort of also i i mean i, I actually think that this part works a little bit because it shows the lack of resolve i think it shows a lot of the, oh right okay it shows a lot of the weaknesses of henry frankenstein because yeah. i think there, there are a lot 
of weaknesses to this character. I don't think I don't think he's a good person, honestly. I don't I don't as I watched this film, and I, I, I found myself not liking him at all. Okay. Um I, I, I see what you're saying because actually in the second film that will come up again. Yeah. And and I think that that's that's certainly something that maybe Shelley was starting to try to get at. And I, I can't say that for certain. I'm sure that she maybe created a more a more complex character, but I, correct me if I'm wrong, Frankenstein abandons his creation, doesn't he? In, in the novel as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's because he doesn't, it's not a beautiful creation. Well, what he's made in this film certainly isn't a beautiful creation. And it has problems. And, and you get the sense that so long as things are going smoothly for Henry, he's all in, everything's great. Yeah. But the moment there are troubles, he's just like, never mind. <laughs> never mind. This, we'll, we'll do some, we'll start again, but this is not a good project. And he's so disinterested in the creature and he doesn't even want to see it that he's willing to look past Fritz. And like Fritz starts tormenting the creature with the torch. Fritz does not like the creature. Yeah. And and Fritz Fritz is quite unjustified. Oh. And sadistic. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there was there was no justification. Like even the squabble, the initial squabble was just a child's a childlike reaction of the of the creature to the the scariness of the flame. Yeah. He didn't, yeah. he didn't really hurt Fritz. He knocked the torch away, but he didn't try and kill Fritz. You know, it was keep the torch away from him. And even then in that scene, Fritz likes to kind of get the torch a little closer than the creature wants right and then when they when they catch the creature restrain it then fritz is in the dungeon which is the this is the only lab i've ever seen that has a dungeon but but fritz starts tormenting the creature these are great sets though i mean uh, i'm not knocking it you you were quite right about the universal aesthetic i I almost piped up and said but it's great oh it's (laughs) great no uh, yeah and and if if ever there was a lab that needed a place to hold a a creature this is the one (laughs) right um but Henry watches a little bit of this torment and he just says, leave it alone. Come on, stop. And then he turns and leaves and lets Fritz, he doesn't, he doesn't physically remove Fritz, which he could have done. Fritz isn't that strong of a guy. Right. But he he just lets Fritz torment the creature with the torque with, he's, he's trying to burn the creature a little bit. Right. And, and Henry just leaves that just the, not the first mark against Henry, but it is another one. And Henry goes back up and then that's when he gets confronted with, I want to say Henry and Elizabeth again. Right. And maybe even Valdman because he goes back up to his to the main area of his lab. Oh, I, this is when the Baron shows up, isn't it? I don't. Well. Is it? I think so. I don't think the Baron does. The Baron ever know that he creates this creature? No, no, because they, um, in kind of sitcom form, they you know they hide everything from the Baron and he yeah. never sees right, any of it. Right. That's right. That's yeah. right. Uh, Mr. Roper is who the Baron is, and these. Uh, <laughs> but what I remember happening is that in this in this uh, in these scenes where Frankenstein is trying to convince people that everything's okay there's a loud scream from below and they all run down and they find fritz dead yeah. uh and the, as the creature's escaped by this point hasn't he or no you don't oh um the creature's not escaped the creature has has escaped and killed fritz but they corner him okay and and that's where um frankenstein distracts him so valdeman can knock him out gotcha um the baron does show up and that's funny when, when he comes in it's like you know what a dreadful place oh you're trying to burn it down <laughs> Because the torch is lying on the ground. And, uh, and the Baron's like trying to, that, that's what I wanted to say. Cause the Baron has a lot of complaints about uh, the, just, when they're walking, uh, they're walking up some stairs. He's like, why are there no banisters in here? Um, yeah. 
and uh, and uh, but Elizabeth's there, Victor's there, and they kind of just kind of you know shuffle him along, so he never sees any of this. But Frankenstein is kind of overcome, and uh, they need to get him back to to their home, which is why the Baron, yeah, uh, uh, you know, you need to take your son away from here. What do you think I came here for? Vacation? Ah, because <laughs> like, Henry's about to collapse, and 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 Valdemar says, Valdemar basically says. He's counseled Henry. You need to destroy this thing. It's the bet. It's the, it's the only thing that makes sense. This this creature is going to be a problem. He 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 already told him that. But then when you're quite right, Frankenstein has a kind of a breakdown, and th- and they're going to take him home. And he's like, oh, the creature, and and Valdemar, I will see that it is painlessly destroyed. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. And, and and I think that's kind of nice too because Valdemar knows that the potential for this creature to become a, a true evil monster is pretty great given what yeah. what it is. But I like that he's not he's not kill it at any cost. He's gonna he's gonna dispatch it in a very painless way. Or he's gonna try in a in a painless way. But he doesn't get around to it quick enough. No, no. As as he's as he's prepping to put the creature further under, all the way under, right? As under yeah. as you can get. This is a great scene while he's working. You see the creature's hand coming up behind him as he's laying there. Valdemar doesn't notice that the hand is behind him now, and he grabs Valdemar's neck, and it's... We don't see what happens to him exactly. We don't. I mean, he strangles him. I mean, yeah. we know that we know that he's killed. Yeah, and then the creature's loose at that point. The creature's loose, but no one knows it. Uh, no, Henry's no. back at uh, the, the the home of the Frankensteins, and it's his wedding day, and, yes. and, and this is something that actually is in the novel, because um, Victor Frankenstein, which is the Shelley character, in the novel, uh, there's definitely this sense that he regrets creating the creature and he desperately hopes to get his life back. Yeah. Like he desperately hopes that he can just pretend that he never did that yes. and that he and that he can just kind of go back on the same path that he had been on before and, and everything will just kind of go away. Yeah. And uh and the movie does a good job of going right to that. That you know, that he's uh um he he's home and he's um he's right well excuse me, it's not his wedding day yet. There's a scene where he's kind of in the garden with Elizabeth and she's kind of laying at his feet and yeah. you know giving him tea and so forth and he's talking about it as just a distant dream and but uh, but he's still unnerved about it i mean yeah. you know dr valdeman said that he would destroy the creature but he doesn't know what's happened or anything uh no no but he is he is ready to move on not yeah. uh, not a, a spot of bother about Fritz. Yeah. Fritz doesn't <laughs> right. into his into his he doesn't say, oh you know man, I like Fritz. I mean we worked together for a long time. Uh yeah. Not he doesn't care about Fritz. Yeah. But he is he's very eager, like you said. Oh, can we Elizabeth? It would be delightful to move. You know, I mean he's very happy to be back away from his lab. Some of that obsession seems to have dissipated. You know, yeah, and, and see and so that's why I actually I actually like um the way the character I agree with you that his character is not very admirable at all to, to interrupt I, I hate to i'm sorry to interrupt but there's that scene where after it's alive it's alive in a scene that gets cut a lot of places in 1931 now i know what it's like to be god exactly that is um that i think gives us the big key to his motivations yeah you know uh, but anyway you were saying go ahead yeah and then uh, but of course um you know while he's he's kind of uh, he's home and thinks he's going to get his life back um the creature is now roaming the countryside yes and uh and i think now we get to that famous scene yes frankenstein emerges from the woods has he been chased yet i can't remember if he's been chased yet i don't i i, I don't know he, he's just kind of wandering around he's not really like he didn't like fritz and he no. took him out and nope. dr haldeman tried to hurt him and he killed him yep. 
And now he's kind of out in the world, almost literally a babe in the woods. Yes, uh, yes, yes. And at, at least mentally. Prior to this scene, we get a little moment of a father and daughter talking and like daughter's trying to get dad to stick around and play some more. He's like, I got to go to work. You you play, have fun, be careful, don't die. <laughs> right. Ah, can't promise anything, dad, is what she says. <laughs> and uh, But it's a very kind of poignant moment of father-daughter having a nice time. And that's when almost immediately after that, Frankenstein like tears out of the woods and he sees this little girl sitting by the banks of a river. Little Maria. And Frankenstein is uh, is interested in the little girl because she's not afraid of him. She just walks up to him and she says, oh, hey, how you doing? And he's actually a little scared of her at first because he kind of backs up a little bit, doesn't he, when she walks forward? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and she sticks out her hand and she's like, hey, I'm, I think she says her name. Yeah. And then she's like, I'm playing, I'm picking flowers, come hang out with me. And Frankenstein is the creature, I'm sorry, the creature is delighted by this invitation. Yeah, yeah. And she shows him these flowers that he's, that she's been picking and she starts showing him like, I pretend they're boats and she throws them in the water, right? Right. And they float and she gives him a handful and he thinks it's great and he's reacting and vocalizing about this. <laughs> he's very happy and he, yeah. he runs out of flowers. And he's a little unnerved by that but then he looks at the little girl and the wrong light bulb bursts above his head and he picks up the girl and she's a little alarmed and then he throws her in the water. Yeah. And then she goes below the surface and doesn't emerge. And he's, he, the, the creature seems horrified by this and runs. Yeah. Well, because he, he, he didn't want to hurt her. He didn't understand no. what was going to happen. I love how, um, how this scene is done in such a way that you just described it perfectly. Yeah. You, you describe the creature's motivation perfectly. You describe what was in his, you know, just his perception perfectly. And then his reaction perfectly. All of this done mostly without words. Oh. Oh, yeah yeah and, and oh. it's it's great and, and it's a pivotal scene because it does give us a, a bit of a window into the creature that he it's not an intentional monster right it also seems to indicate that maybe Waldman's uh, opinion of the cre- of the brain of the of the creature might have been wrong too. We don't know. We don't know what like we didn't get like a, a rap sheet with this brain, right? Right, right, right. So, given the kinds of things that people could be considered vile criminals for in the period, I mean, this guy might have been uh, you know just stealing apples because he was hungry and gotten hung, right? Right, right. In Victorian times, though, this is in Germany somewhere, but this was this was kind of a overly harsh approaches to crime was the norm in this period yeah. but it's the creature's horrified and he runs off uh terrified that he's hurt his his new friend right right this will be a, a theme for the creature uh as the series goes on about its craving for friendship yeah but it runs off almost simultaneously henry is like he's getting back into the life of a, of a young baron to be isn't he yeah yeah uh he's very happy things are going well the wedding planning is going well the baron is chewing through scenery like a happy father <laughs> And the whole town is excited about this wedding because it's the Baron's son. I mean, this is a, a, a person of some power in the community. Right. Only music in the movie is happening in this scene, by the way, uh, where the where the town is celebrating. And one of the things I like about this, and I don't know if Whale intended for this, but there's a lot of different people playing music mm-hmm. in the celebrations for the wedding. And as such, it's all a little discordant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I'd forgotten this scene. And I think it's still very powerful. Mm-hmm. The father has found his daughter. And he's walking through the city with his dead child. And he's looking straight ahead. Oh, he's, yeah. 
and and the girl is doing a great job of being absolutely limp. And this is true. I and I never noticed until this watching, until this yeah. viewing, how long the camera actually lingers on them. It is a gut punch of a scene. It is a powerful moment, and it's very powerful in this film from 1931. How 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 real and and raw this scene is. I think this actor and this girl do a great job conveying the horror that you know no parent ever wants to to see here and yeah on top of this we see the celebration being destroyed as he passes and it's like a wave of reaction to this to this yeah. scene and the back every background actor does a great job you know nobody's accidentally like laughing at a joke another extra told you know right it's, it's really it's I, it's just a great scene yeah go ahead take it away no i i i, I absolutely agree and, and he comes and he tells the burgermeister and, and he's like you know maria's dead oh poor man he's like, she was murdered um not sure why he knows that though not sure why he knows that either uh but the alarm is sounded uh i guess we have to cut back to the wedding and the fact that elizabeth has this sense of foreboding that something's going to come between uh between them and uh you know henry decides that the way to deal with her anxiety is to lock her into her bedroom <laughs> uh, uh <laughs> when he discovers that you know that there's a commotion going on because they get news that the creature that the, the girl's been killed i think he doesn't he get news that valdeman's dead too he he discovered well he locks her in her room and that's when victor tells him that valdeman's uh dead yeah and they just and they decide um and then they hear the creature he's in the house yeah and, yes. and uh again another forensic leap i'm not sure they were entitled to make but but yeah and they look everywhere except where the creature actually is. I'm sure that these were universal sets that were used for other movies, but yeah. you know, you've got a cellar that is only used for like three seconds of screen time. You know, so I mean, they do a great job of showing that this house has a lot of um, oh, a lot of rooms, right? Massive, I mean, yeah, it's massive. That's all well done. The creature is in yeah. Elizabeth's room, and conveniently, she can't get out because he locked her in. Because, he locked, because because Henry locked her in. We don't really see what happens in this in this room, but they hear her scream scream and they all go running down and the whole the whole house staff is trying to get into elizabeth's room so he's got to fight through that and, uh, and then he gets in and the creature's gone and elizabeth is laying on the bed right yeah she's not dead she's in a bad way uh she's been knocked out or she passed out um and that's when uh, the hunt for the creature begins in earnest doesn't it yeah and uh, and henry's of course going to join the uh the mob but... what, what i like about what I don't like about this, rather, Henry yeah. just joins the mob, doesn't say anything to anybody about the creature. There's yeah. there's relevant information Henry could give. He already has, he's already established, it's 10 times stronger than any man, Fritz. Back off. It'll right. break you in half. It'll, it'll kill you pretty easily if you keep tormenting it. It's an undead creature that I created. I don't know if it can be easily killed. You know, there's a bunch of stuff he could tell these people to warn them. Right. And instead, the Burgermeister says, you, father of the dead girl, you go to the lake. Henry, you take the people up the mountain. And Henry's like, oh, sure, I'll do that. That's fine. And Oh, uh, actually, the way Colin Clive plays it. And I think this is fine, though, because it, it, um, Colin Clive plays the, plays the kind of unlikable character. Like, I think he deserves credit. Oh, absolutely. No, I think that's right. Yeah, because um, when he says, Frankenstein, you take 
the men of the mountain. Colin Clive kind of looks at the camera like, that's right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, and you know, he, he has transitioned in this kind of fraudulent way. Yes. From being the author of all of this to, oh, isn't this outrageous? Something must be done, you know? Well, I mean, and, I, and, and I'm not criticizing, uh, to be clear, I'm not criticizing Colin. Clive. Well, Clive. Clive is, yeah. Colin, Colin Clive, his, his performance, I'm criticizing Henry because, yeah. because he's doing exactly what you say. When he accepts the Burgermeister's uh, command with such gusto, I get the sense that he is saying, oh, we'll kill the creature. This will all be wrapped up. I won't get blamed for any of it. Yes. And yes. I, I get to escape from all of this without consequences. Right. right. And right. so um, so he's he's I, I get the sense that I mean, I also get the sense, too, and this this might owe, owe to Clive's performance is that, you know, if I'm leading these people, I also we also have a good chance of getting uh, of getting the creature without losing any lives. Right. Right. Um, I mean, I think that he, he he's I get the sense that this character could convince himself that he's doing this for also good reasons. Right. Mm, right. But, but you're right. He, he immediately tries to take the mantle of hero and it doesn't fit well. No. And so the town goes off on a, on a, on a monster hunt. It's interesting. This is the film where we, I think we get our first, get out of the pitchforks. And yeah, in the popular culture, you know, we're always criticizing the, I think people think about this film as like the undo, you know, they're chasing this creature and the, the pitchforks weren't, you know, necessary, but this is actually a situation in which the pitchforks were kind of justified. <laughs> <laughs> you know the creature's not entirely nice it's it's it is a made villain but it's it, and an unintentional villain but it's these people aren't reacting like you're different you're green then we got to kill you because you're different no you right. you're different because you killed a lot of people right and, right so i you know anyway I, I just think it's funny that this film kind of gave uh the people the crowd with the pitchforks reacting to difference that's not what this movie is right you know but but this film sort of stands for that in a lot of people's minds i think but but anyway, yeah. they're hunting the creature down. The creature's beaten a few people up. I don't think it's killed anybody yet. Right. Henry and the, the people he's leading get separated and he has a little confrontation with the creature and he doesn't he doesn't win. No, but but this is real but this is really well done. Well, first of all, uh, the only unrealistic part is oh no, over here. Like he gets separated from everybody for some really dumb reason. Yeah. Uh where Henry's is isolated from everybody else. He runs into the creature, and this is really great. Like you You've got uh, um, kind of a long shot of the two of them, one on one side of the screen, the other on the other side of the screen. Uh, Henry has a, a torch. And then, you know, he's like, fire! Like, I, I you know, you're afraid of this, remember? Yeah. And and um, the creature either is no longer afraid of it or he's angry enough at Henry that he doesn't care anymore. Yeah. But there is a quick close-up of Henry, quick close-up of the creature, and then they come together. Like, all of this visually yeah. is really, really well done. Well, I think visually the film generally is is stunning but, but yeah. you're right, you're, you're right uh, specifically about this scene and you know they're they have a little pacing moment it's a great moment where they're feeling each other out and that's that's, that's a nice little you're right I, I it is neat when when we see that the fire is no longer the yeah. the, the kryptonite uh that it once was now frankenstein uh, the creature overpowers frankenstein and and takes him away yeah for some reason we the the, the creature's taking him up to the uh to the lab the old lab the the windmill no, lab the it's the strangest <laughs> lab it's at a windmill on a mountain, uh, often backlit by lightning. But in the long shot of the creature carrying Henry up the up the hill to the to the uh, lighthouse or the sorry the the windmill, that's actually Karloff carrying Henry. Waylon wanted him to do it. Okay. 
And this ended up actually hurting Karloff's back, and he had back problems for the rest of his life because of these three films. Really? Well, I guess that makes sense, yeah. I think a lot of it had to do with the boots. They were like okay. 15 pounds each, and he's carrying Whalen. But he did the scene, and he, he, like you said, he loves the films. He loved being a part of the films, but it did hurt his back. And I mean, he had back problems. Not debilitating, but he had pain, I guess. But I just thought it was an interesting, it's not him carrying a dummy. It's him actually carrying... Uh, uh, Con Clive. Yeah. Then he takes him into the lab, and uh, they have another the confrontation but the but this is, of course is where the villagers all get to the uh to the windmill with the torches and the pitchforks and yeah. it doesn't 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 henry get escape the creature now first? The, the creature decide the creature throws henry off of the windmill well they get to the he, top and i think there's a little there's a little chase where they where henry oh gets, right yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Gets away from the creature and he goes up to the top oh and, and they stalk each other yes which is really good yeah yeah yeah, yeah uh, th they stalk each other but uh, um the windmill is surrounded the creature takes henry and throws him off of the windmill he hits one of the uh the blades of the windmill yeah. which is not a real convincing effect it looks no. it's a dummy no and in fact um the the dummy is is so eradicated by the by the blade that there's n there's no way henry could have survived <laughs> this <laughs> fall no i thought he was dead you know when, yeah. when I saw this. in fact for years i haven't seen this film for years i thought henry died in this movie because of this this is i couldn't remember the whole scene but i remembered him getting thrown off the windmill and i didn't remember him hitting anything so when i'm watching this film the other day and he hits the uh windmill i was like oh yeah he died that's right he couldn't have lived through that because his back basically folds over the, yeah. the blade of this windmill and i was like oh i didn't think he was going to make it into the sequel i would turn out to be wrong yeah so he, he lands on the ground and and then they're like very very jaws four here uh oh he's he's been injured let's get him away from the let's get him home let's get him home and i'm just like okay okay i didn't i didn't see that coming and then that's when everybody decides well let's burn it all down and and this is you know this is hard to watch actually it is, yeah. it is. because we don't know if this thing would have been uh evil per se but it wasn't treated well it wasn't taught you know like a, it didn't it didn't get the education that a, a, a normal human gets right and seeing the creature try to survive amid the thing he fears the most he still is scared of fire we see yeah yeah and uh and he gets crushed by a giant beam and pinned and that that's horrifying you know yeah. but yeah go ahead no i mean actually one of the i mean there's lots of interesting things about this film but we the people watching the movie we're the only ones that actually know what you just said that the creature like we've never seen the creature lash out in pure uh hatred no there's always a reason for what the creature does that to the viewer is is kind of understandable yeah but there is no other character in the movie that knows that that's true this this is a movie where uh all of the quote-unquote heroes do not see in the creature what we see yeah. and we do see it we do not dislike the creature no. when he kills little maria earlier in the film we don't want maria to die it's hard to watch yeah but we feel sorry for him too he's not he's not culpable no he didn't, he didn't know what he was doing oh no, no he didn't want her to die and he's horrified when he doesn't know what to do for yeah but yeah so then that's the end of the creature then we cut uh not a smash cut exactly but to henry laid up in bed elizabeth remarking on how rubbery and resilient his spine must be <laughs> 
and Henry seems very happy. Everything's going grand, and and the Baron Frankenstein is ecstatic, and yes. he's like, uh, "Oh, ladies, oh, you you brought the wine my grandma laid down and didn't let my grandfather drink. It was wise of him of her not to let him drink this. I'll take some to Henry." And he walks in, and then I can't remember what happens, but Henry doesn't want it, and he comes back out and he shuts the door, and he's like, "Henry doesn't need this, I don't think. He's got all he needs, and he drinks the wine himself." And that's the end of the film, isn't it? That's the end of the film. And Jason, I was fucking furious. I was mad as hell because Henry needed to go to jail. Henry was culpable. Henry is laying in that fucking bed with Elizabeth. Like, he didn't just get a bunch of people killed. Right. And no, no, yeah. Of course, I, I don't mind the Baron's reaction because the Baron doesn't know any of this. Elizabeth right, right. barely knows any of this. She knows a little bit of it, but she's about to marry into wealth and she's she's going to let it slide, I guess. But but I was just like, Henry, you rat fuck. Why are you getting away with this, you know? The, the, um, no, that's quite right. Um, if there, I mean, maybe the, the, the biggest weakness of the movie in terms of what you, it's difficult to forgive is that Henry Frankenstein, even though he's written very well, yeah. uh, he doesn't really get what he deserves. And yeah. that's something Mary Shelley did do. Victor Frankenstein in the novel does not live a good life. He, he loses everything. Yeah. But this movie ends on a happy note, which is odd because in watching it at any time, definitely still now, James Whale's sympathy is with the creature. Yeah, yeah. So the ending is actually kind of weird to me. Oh, I agree. No, yeah, the viewer's sympathy is with Whale. I mean, not with Whale, with, with the creature. Um, uh, yeah, the creature causes some some mayhem and and unintentional carnage but my god the villain of the piece is henry yeah i think I mean, he gets a bunch of nice people killed fritz i don't care about but none of this had to happen and 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 henry never takes responsibility for it no no he doesn't uh, and so that that man that chapped my ass and, and it does and, and, and you know and it does end abruptly uh, this film um, has gone up in my estimation over the years. Yeah. When I first saw it, I thought it was a bit dated. And and, and it is. Yeah. It is dated. But actually, I think that when you consider that this is 1931, this is a very early sound picture. I mean, it doesn't even have a, a film score. No, no, no. Yeah, I mean, th this is a very early sound picture. And the things that it does well are, are, are so good. It is able to do things that I think can attract viewers in ways that Dracula, which you and I have never reviewed, uh, struggles with. I yeah. think Dracula, even though released only a couple months earlier, is um, has not aged as well. No, no. Even, no. even when they gave it a modern score and the verdict. For me, Frankenstein is uh, a kind of a fascinating movie visually. It is an incredibly iconic picture, even though I think everyone will agree that it's not a good adaptation of Shelley's work. It gives us a bunch of horror images that we'll come back to again and again in this genre of film. It's a foundational piece, uh, but but also just from, I think it's interesting to look at from just looking at early film. Subsequently, we're going to review the other parts of the Boris Karloff Frankenstein trilogy, and you can almost see film production and acting evolving. And this is kind of an early attempt to do a, kind of a big ideas horror film. Anyway, I think it's iconic. I... 
I struggle with how good it is. Is it great? I guess it has to be because of the iconic status of it. But I'll leave it to you. Uh, Jason has the final verdict here. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I sympathize with everything you just said. I think most of what you just said is something that I would have said uh, 20 years ago. I've actually, I've seen this movie a lot. Listeners will know that, will if you stayed with us, will know that we've already reviewed The Wolfman, and which is my favorite of the Universal Pictures. And uh, growing up and watching this, I always felt this was a little bit more dated and was not as engrossing. Uh, it's grown on me quite a bit. Uh, I agree with everything Max just said about it being iconic. We've both talked about just how, you know, as an early sound picture, this movie does things that other films at the time maybe didn't do, maybe didn't do effectively. The film does have its flaws. Uh, we talked about those. The ending might be seen as a little unsatisfying to a lot of people, certainly compared to what Mary Shelley uh, served up for Dr. Frankenstein in, in her in her novel, which is kind of kind of dramatically and thematically a, a little bit more consistent. But I actually have come to believe that there's enough really good thematic material in this film to really make it work. I, I like the character of, of uh, I, I mean, I, I dislike the character of Dr. Frankenstein. I like Colin Clive's performance as Frankenstein. I think that he serves up a, a conflicted character uh, and a film that kind of gives us this, I guess, a protagonist who's really not very likable and who it's very difficult to kind of morally engage with. And I don't think James Whale intended us to engage with him. I don't think that Max and I, as modern viewers, are looking at this film and saying, well, they intended for us to see Dr. Frankenstein as the hero, but really he, but really he's not. And, you know, it was wrong for them to intend that. I, I actually think that the creature is who James Whale was sympathetic to. And I think that shines through in the film that he made. Yeah. I think it's well, I think it's well edited. Uh, it's got great sets. It's loaded with great performances. There, there's actually, I, I can't think of a performance that we've criticized, um, but Boris Karloff really gives one of the really great performances in a nonverbal role. Yeah. He's not only visually iconic, but I mean, to actually watch the film and to see him play this creature is really a treat. I, I actually would say, and I might not have said this at one time, but I, I have now come to the conclusion that Frankenstein from 1931 is a great film and is is one of, uh, if you're going to watch any of the Universal monster films, uh, I would put this up there with The Wolfman. It doesn't it doesn't surpass it for me, but I, I, I would say this is a great film. Well, there you have it. The verdict. Jason so what are we doing next week? We are doing The Bride of Frankenstein. We are going dun, to continue. Dun, dun. We are going to continue on this road the being the completest that we are. That's right. So, everybody, share us on social media. Share us on the Twitters, the Facebooks. Uh, share us with your friends. Like us. Subscribe to us. And uh, email us. Comment at Podbean. The email address is lordmovies39 at gmail.com. Nobody's doing that yet, so do it. I'll respond to you. I'll get Jason the password eventually, and he'll be able to respond to you and uh yeah we look forward to hearing from you um all right guys night uh, henry you rat fuck why are you getting away with this now i know what it's like to be god <laughs>